0: Heights to the depths of the
1: sea. And also he built removed the Sabbath pavilion which they had built in the temple, and he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account of the king of Assyria. So he's making accommodation for whatever reason. You know, it's not about the Lord anymore, it's about everything else. It's about how I feel every
0: creature is unique. Glacier Gl- Welcome everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Ahaz could not bring in his pagan corrupt innovations without also removing what had stood before at the temple. This was an ungodly exchange, taking away the good and putting in the bad, including the king's outer entrance built in the days of his father, King Jotham. Collectively, these things served to discourage the worship of the true God at the temple of God. During these changes, Ahaz shut down the operation of the temple and established small pagan altars all around Judah. These changes had dire consequences for Ahaz. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 16 in the book of 2 Kings.
1: God's prescribed way. God made it very clear through Leviticus how we ought to be worshipped. And throughout the time of Israel's history, there came moments, and 2 Samuel chapter 6 is another good example. Remember when David, before he brought before he became, when he became king, one of the things he wanted to do was bring the ark from Kirjath jerim to bring it back to Israel. And so what does he do? He's so excited, and everybody's excited. I mean, David was a fantastic king, but he made a mistake. And the Levites made a mistake. They had to take this thing from Kirjath-Jerim and, and drive it farther east, uphill, up into Mount Moriah on the Temple Mount. So what do they do? They put it on a cart. Let's get one of those things from Home Depot. Let's, you know, those, those, uh, those big vans, and we just slide open the door, throw it in there, close the truck, and up the hill we go. That's basically what they did. They put it on a new cart. And why a new cart? Because they saw the Philistines do it. The Philistines got away with it. And God says, well, they're ignorant. They don't know anything. But you know the truth. You were supposed to put those gold poles. You're not supposed to touch the ark. The Levites were supposed to put those poles on each side, sliding through the ark of the covenant. And four of them, one on each corner, were to bear it on their shoulders, and they were to walk. All the way to Jerusalem. That's the way it should be done. And God in His grace, remember, allowed them to put it on a new cart. He allowed them, they probably would have gotten away with it because of God's grace, but then something, the unconscionable thing happened. The ox is going along, and Ahio and Uzzah are there on each side, you know, they got the beast you know pulling the cart, and they're, hey, this is pretty cool. And the ox stumbled, the thing started to buckle, the, sh- the cart started to shake. And he put his hand on the ark. And God struck him dead right there on the spot. I think God was able to keep that ark from falling. And even if he wasn't, so what? He touched it. God says, now you've gone too far. If you would have gotten this thing, I probably would have talked to you about it, David. But now he touched it. I'm not going to go that far. You see God's grace? He was gracious. They were probably they could have gotten away with it to an extent, but then they went over the line. And so that's what happened. What about Leviticus? Remember in Leviticus 10 when Nadab and Abihu they were supposed to offer incense on the altar? Profane worship. And now they, they mix something with the incense to make it sparkle. Maybe they put sparklers in there, I don't know, or pop rocks inside the incense to make it pop and make it make it sparkle, maybe make color. I don't know what they did. They did something. Because it wasn't, it wasn't, it just wasn't fulfilling me, man. I just, you know, the 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 incense. It's just kind of like we do this every single day, and I just, I want something bigger, and just want to see some fireworks. And God's like, no. I know how I ought to be worshipped, and God killed them on the spot. A fire proceeded from the throne of God and consumed them. So the manner of worship, the composition of the incense, clearly specified in Scripture. They began to tweak it and play with it. And God says, don't do it, don't do it. And they began to do it. And then they, whatever they did, it must have been a real show. The kids were probably really excited, whatever it was. We have to remember that worship is not about us. It is not about us, it's about the Lord. And he has the right to tell us how and where he ought to be worshipped. We are not to make up our own rules as we go along. Verse 13, back in our text, and we're going to finish up here pretty quickly. So Ahaz, he burned his burnt offering. Notice he did it. A lot of things wrong with this young man, Ahaz. He's doing everything wrong. Every single thing he's doing wrong. His worship is a false worship. And it's false worship because it doesn't Coincide with how God said He wanted to be worshipped. And do you know there's a lot of false worship in churches today too? A lot of times it can be about the performance. You can have a big worship team, and there's nothing wrong with a big worship team. But if their hearts aren't right collectively, if the worship is all about me being seen, you know, with my guitar, and I got the you know make sure you hit you know put the row three light right on my face, and I'll smile real big and that gold tooth that I got ready to shine and blind everybody. You know, it's not about us. But in some churches you got people roving around with a camera you know looking at the looking at the guitar player's hands and you know I've seen this. And the words are like the the songs are there's no hymns anymore. Everything is about, you know, how I feel about God. I, you know, I feel about. It. There's nothing wrong with a song about how you feel about God, but when the whole set of songs is nothing about my feelings about God, and the lights have got to be just right, man, you got to have the smoke pouring off the stage. It's a performance. It's a warm-up act for the for the pastor. No, it's not. It should be as important as what I'm sharing from this pulpit. The worship should be a reflection of. A, it, there's no difference. It's just as important as what we're sharing here. The worship of God, we're doing it right now. We're giving attendance to his word. And so the words that we sing, are they biblical? And thank God, you know, Aubrey chose some great songs tonight. But there are churches, that are like some worship leaders are like, you know, I don't really care as long as it lifts people up. It's got a nice beat. Is it lifting people up? Is there a positive message? Is it a positive encouraging? It doesn't matter if it's positive and encouraging. If it doesn't reflect... God's word and his heart, then you gotta get rid of it because it's false worship. And it's happening all over the country. Some of the mainline denomination churches, even some Calvaries, no longer concerned about biblical worship, word words of worship that are right. Because believe it or not, and Aubrey knows this. Every song that we sing is teaching you doctrine. And doctrine is incredibly important because doctrine affects your life and what you believe in your doctrine will dictate how you live your life. So teaching is very important and what the, what the Bible says. So I better have if the words that I'm speaking about Christ don't accurately reflect him, then I better ditch the song or change the lyrics. I've changed some lyrics of songs and I think they're better than the original author. And I'm not saying that to be smug or arrogant, I'm not. I'm just being honest. Sometimes I think these guys that are um, Christian artists, they need to run those those lyrics by a couple pastors who have nothing to do with their movement. There's so much weird stuff going on, folks. And just like today, same thing back here. False worship. It's worshiping a different Jesus, a a Jesus that where I feel good. You know, because if I don't feel good by the time the pastor gets up on the platform, then I'm leaving. If I don't feel like I'm getting, you know, if I'm clapping and, and really, in, you know, just if my flesh is not tantalized, I'm out of here. I'm not going to wait around. Hey, trust me, a person with a one-string banjo in the spirit can come up here and sing a hymn with a drone pedal on the on, the, on the little one little thing that's out of tune and God will accept that more than a huge band with an orchestra and singers and opera singers. He's like... You can throw all that away, but I'll take that, young, I'll take that person right there with the banjo, with the one-string banjo that's out of tune, whose heart is contrite before me, who has a broken heart, who's singing right things. But Ahaz burned his own burnt offering and his grain offering he burned his own and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of the peace offerings on the altar he also brought the bronze altar that was before the lord notice this there's a bronze altar when you go into the temple the first thing you see is an is an altar that's where sin has to be dealt with and then afterwards the laver where the the priests would wash themselves because it's a bloody mess But the first thing you see is an altar. So what does he do? He takes this new altar that he got designs for, and he moves the bronze altar. He moves that one out of the way, and he goes, ah, let's put the big one, the real nice one, the new and improved, the one with the shiny lights and the LEDs all around the edge. Let's put that one right there. Move the other one, that old thing, that old blasé thing. Uh, Moses, just move that out. Move that to the north. We're going to put this thing, this Cadillac, yes. Put it right there. I want to see it every morning. That's what he did. He put the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of the new altar. So he moves it. And then King Ahaz, verse 15, commanded Urijah the priest, saying, On the great new altar, notice that. It's so great, it's so new, it's so beautiful. It even came with, it's got that fresh car smell to it. And I got that little, little tree, that little green tree hanging from it. You know, It's got that smell. It's great, it's new, it's beautiful. On the great new altar, burn the morning burnt offering, and evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice, and his grain offering, with the burnt offering of all the people of the land, their grain offering, and their drink offerings, and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering, and all the blood of the sacrifice, and the the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire on. But everybody else, including myself, will, will play with the Cadillac for a while. Let's put that other thing away. Do you see what's happening? You see the mixture? Does the devil ever come to you and present to you false doctrine and say, you know, to, to the point where everything is wrong? No, he's, he's, he's got this wrong altar in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing, him doing it instead of the Levites, but he's trying to please God by doing all the other offerings, the burnt offerings, the grain offerings. Those are things that they were supposed to do. Trying to mingle it all together. Make it all happy together. Hey, listen, that doesn't work. It doesn't happen. It's not effective. God says, delete about 80% of this and just give me the 20%, because that's right. Everything else is nothing, it's flesh. Then Urijah the priest, according to all that King Ahaz did, he commanded him in verse seventeen. And King Ahaz, notice what he does. He cuts off the panels of the carts. You know, these were things that were already that God had given to Moses or to uh, Solomon to do. He removed the lavers from them. He took down the sea from the brazen, brazen uh, excuse me, bronze oxen that were under it. He put it on the, on the pavement of stones. And also he built, removed the Sabbath pavilion, which they had built in the temple. And he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account of the king of Assyria. So he's making accommodation for whatever reason. You know, it's not about the Lord anymore. It's about everything else. It's about how I feel. It's about other people. See, it never should be that way. It's always, always, always about Jesus. It's got to be about him. And then it says So Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Now, as we get into Hezekiah next week, Hezekiah was one of those really good kings. He was, a, he was a good fellow. He was a good king. He had some mistakes, but he was a good guy. And what's really interesting to me is we're going to see, uh, actually next week, uh, we're going to look at the very ending of the northern ten tribes. They're going to be taken captive by the Assyrians. And then God, after they are led captive and many people are killed, God's going to start dealing with Judah, with Jerusalem. And you're going to see something really interesting. And I find this fascinating. The last few kings after that, those about 116 years after the Assyrians took the northern 10 tribes captive in 722 BC, it was about 116 years later, in 606 BC, that Babylon, the real power, more powerful than Assyria, now is coming on the doors of Judah and Jerusalem. And it's interesting that the kings that we're going to see now in Judah after we see what happens next week, we're going to see a really great king, a really bad king, a really great king, not so good king. And you're going to see this really intensity of either being really sold out to do evil or really sold out to God. It seems like before the time of the end, there is always this intensity on both sides. And I find it interesting, even in our own country. I find it interesting, even in our own country. It seems like our country is dying. And what do you see? And and even in the world, you see the enemy ramping up his efforts to where nothing is in the shadows anymore. It's all blatantly out in the front. Anybody see the Grammy Awards? It looked like hell. Flames on the stage, demonic worship. This is worship. They even called it a worship service, I think. This is how we worship. And it, there was people dressed up with horns and red suits, scantily clad women, the smoke, the, you know, the flames coming out the back. Seriously, if you've seen it, look, look it on... Well, don't look it on YouTube. I, don't look at it. I didn't even see it. I happened to see it on something, uh, a, a bite of it. I'm like, oh, my goodness. There's no filter any longer, folks. Toward the end of the age that we are... We don't know the day or the time that Christ is going to come for the church, but I'm noticing... Have you noticed... The intensity is ratcheted way up. There's very little people, few people in the middle. You're either completely sold out to Satan and following the things that Satan loves, or you are sold out to Christ and holding out for him. There's very few people in the middle. Everything is that polarization. I know it's happening politically, but it's also happening spiritually. And just as it's happening, and again, again, When Jesus comes for the church, it's going to be a significant event. It's going to be a very significant event. Just like the flood of Noah was a significant event, it's going to be significant. It's going to rock the world when Christ comes for his bride, the church, and raptures her from the earth. It's going to be a big deal. And it's going to get more intense as we get closer to that moment, whenever that is. And I will say this, that even before Christ comes back in his second coming to the earth, at least seven years after that event of the rapture, that time in between that you and I know as the tribulation period, you think that what we're going through right now is difficult? Do you think that the deceptions that we're seeing right now are incredible? We've seen nothing. Because when the church is removed, oh my goodness, he's going to God is going to send them a delusion. We think that things are deluded now. It's going to get so whacked and weird that you're not even going to know what what side is up and down. And that is when all hell is going to break loose on the earth. But thank God, Jesus said, if I didn't come back to the earth to stop it, no flesh would survive it. So what do we do with that? You know, As we look at this false worship of Ahaz, just completely bent on evil, you and I, our mandate is really simple. It's always been the same. Go out and tell people about Jesus. What is the, in Matthew, and I'll end with this. I know I've kept you, and I, I have, actually, I don't apologize. You're probably going, well, you better, because i got I got to eat dinner. What does it tell us in Matthew 28? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Jesus says, So here's our mandate, here's what we are to do. You know this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And the good news is, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Are we coming to the end of the age? It's looking pretty close to the end. But we have to continue going out and telling people the love of Jesus. Telling them how much he loves them. And it's not easy because they don't want to hear it, many of them. I didn't want to hear the gospel. I was so engrossed in my sin I could care less. But God in his grace invaded my life. When I didn't even ask him, he moved on my heart in a way I can't even imagine. And I don't even know how he did it, to be honest with you, because I really didn't want him. Something happened, and I responded. Have you responded tonight? Maybe you've already responded, and hallelujah if you have. You know what? I would encourage you to continue to respond in love to Christ. He's done everything for us. All we have to do is trust him, believe in him, and then love him, and then go out and tell people of that love. Because, folks, the alternative of what you and I have ahead of us is really horrible and the bible tells us that god it's not his will that any should perish but that all should come to repentance he doesn't delight in the death of the wicked he would rather us all come to life i think it's a pretty cool god I love a God who tells me the truth about myself. He doesn't tell me, "Well, Rob, you know, you're just—it's because of your upbringing. You know, because your mom did this or your dad did this to you. That's the way. That's that's the reason you're the way you are. And you can't do anything else. You're just like a machine. You got to do it because they did it. Don't try to break out. No, God says, "No, I'm going to break that chain. A new creation. Doesn't He tell us that? You're now a new creation in Christ. And if I'm a new creation." And his spirit indwells in me. That means I owe my life, my everything to him. Will you give everything to him today? Tonight, tomorrow? Wake up with it. It's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. Folks, do you realize we have such a great hope and a great future? We've got everything to look forward to. Even when things are going to pot on the earth right now, you keep looking to Christ. And you keep that attitude, keep the smile in your heart going. Because you've got a joy that overcomes all of it hope of his coming, and the great message of the gospel dwelling in your heart to give to all those who need to hear it. Amen? Thank you for bearing with me for this long time. Let's stand and let's uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, and Lord, we ask that, Lord, you would encourage us in, as we looked at the life of Ahaz, and, and we looked at the false worship of of Israel, and even Judah, Lord, we we're mindful, Lord, of, of our worship, Lord. May our worship be pleasing to you. Lord, may it be based on the finished work of Jesus. May it be based upon the truth of your word, Lord. And Father, may we shun anything that's gonna lead us in a different direction that's not of your heart. Lord, that's aberrant. Lord, that's, out of, out of, that's just whacked. Lord, help us to serve you with joy and gladness. And Lord, we thank you for whispering to our hearts so many years ago. I look around this room and I just see my brothers, my sisters, Lord, how you've touched their lives, how you've transformed us. You've translated us from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son and the kingdom of light, the only light of Jesus Christ, Lord. How we thank you, how we praise you, how we honor you, Lord, how we worship you, Lord, because of who you are. And because what you've revealed to us, Lord, you are worthy of all things. Holy and positive and pure. All power and glory belong to you. And it's in your precious name that we pray. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Encourage them tonight. Strengthen them for their day tomorrow. Keep them safe. Keep them healthy, Lord. Keep our eyes focused on you. Open your word to us. And fill us with your spirit, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140.